Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Dana Wrights, and you're watching the eighth episode of For God and Country. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Brandon Estes. He's a Muslim cowboy hailing from Corpus Christi, Texas, and um, is now living in Medina, studying at the School of Sharia there. And I'm just very interested to learn about his life's journey uh, as an American, as a cowboy, and um, how he believes he found the truth. Brandon, welcome to my show, For God and Country. Pleasure's all mine. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, you know, for everyone who's watching, I, uh, if you've never met a, a Muslim cowboy before, well, here you go. I'm, I'm not gonna tell you how old I am, I'm gonna let everybody guess. But I, I did convert about nine years ago, and I am a student of knowledge who I've traveled a little bit, not that much around the world, to, to get some Arabic knowledge and to learn my deen after I converted to Islam. And I am taking everything that I've learned to guide my people and guide all of the sincere seekers out in the world uh, to this same light that I have found and that God saved me with mm -hmm. nine years ago. So... You know, walk me back to your journey nine years ago. What led to all of this and how did your journey begin? Well, I'd been seeking the truth for several years, primarily because I had a cousin who wanted to try to be, help me to become an atheist mm -hmm. like him. Um, but I wasn't buying none of it. All of the things that he showed me that was wrong about Christianity didn't actually affect my faith in God. Mm -hmm. Me, For me... I always had this relationship with God that I don't think anyone could have ever gotten rid of, mm -hmm. no matter if I, you know, whatever I found was the truth or not. Mm -hmm. So I, I promised God that no matter what, I would do anything I could to, to find him, to have that relationship with him. And so when I was in college, I said, you know, okay, uh, I'm going to find out which version of Christianity is the truth. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of time looking into that, trying to figure it out, and uh, could never do it because everything, you know, there was nothing that seemed uh, authentic from any of it, um, except for maybe you know the early the early versions, the the monotheistic Unitarian mm -hmm. strands, I guess you could say. And so I decided that I was just going to kind of keep doing what I was doing, but kind of put it on the back burner until one day I decided that uh, I'd had enough. I mean, I had um, yeah, I had I had issues with alcoholism and other things mm. and so mm. I wanted I just wanted I wanted it all to stop and to end and I didn't know what to do so I just put my head on the ground like I saw that Jesus did in Matthew and I said you know if he is uh if he's good enough uh for me to you know for Christians to worship and I follow him because at this point I was I wasn't a, a Trinitarian anymore that was kind of like a secret I had mm. I didn't worship Jesus I just took him as my role model said, but if I follow him, then I'm going to uh, do what he did, right? I, you know, was doing it in direct rebellion to my pastor who told us, don't ever put your face on the ground. But I thought, you know, you know, he, why would I follow a man who tells me to do something other than what Jesus does, mm. right? And he said, this is humiliation. And I said, no, you know, following Jesus is not humiliation. I'm going to do what he did. Mm. So I did it. And long story short, God guided me. I saw you know, that I had to follow the Prophet Muhammad for the rest of my life. And so I said, if this was a true a vision, then I'm going to have to go check it out. So I read the Quran, and that reading of the Quran was something that 
changed my life. I couldn't stop crying. I mean, I cried for almost two weeks straight, mm. just like for hours every day, just out of happiness. Anywhere I would be, just tears would flow from my eyes because mm. I was so grateful that I had actually found what I'd always been looking for. So, you know, let's back up to the time where you were still searching for the truth. Did you feel like, what was your impression of Muslims like? I didn't hate Muslims. I did have a lot of friends who, um, who went to uh, Iraq mm -hmm. and Afghanistan, who took pictures of all their kills and they would put them on their walls and very disgusting type of disturbing behavior. And even as a non-Muslim, I always thought something was wrong. I was like, man, you guys are messed up. Like, this ain't right. Like, why are you taking pleasure in, like, you know, killing other people, mm. right? And they would, you know, treat, talk about them in really terrible ways. And uh, did you see anything in the media that made you think a certain way? Yeah, but I never, uh, I, I, I saw what was in the media, but I was one of those people that was, I'm going to judge people as I meet them. Mm. Interesting. Right? That's just how I was. I'm not going to take other people's word for it. I'm going to I'm going to figure out for myself. I've listened to some of your podcasts and um, you've described your life as uh, like, you know, a missionary. You worked in um, promoting Christianity. You know, what was that life like? A lot of what we did was just, you know, talking to other Christians, you know, very involved in Sunday school, always going to, you know, meetings at the church and, you know, trying to, you know, have a having a really nice big part of community. That's one thing I will say that a lot of Christians do well is they have a they know how to have get togethers, right? And have, mm. have sense of community for the most part. But even that is still starting to dwindle, right? Because just, just in the West and the UK and the US, I mean people are just not going to church anymore. They're not taking part in mm. the uh, in their communities. Every everyone is hermitizing. Why do you think that is it's uh, it's, it's it's because of uh liberal secularism and capitalism and it, it makes everybody in individualistic consumer like what what is happening just worldwide trend is that everyone is just really subconsciously being taught just look out for yourself mm. right and i mean i saw this growing up that you know friends families just being broken apart because everyone's nefsi 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 the idea of a community the idea of a family was mm. is is under attack were there other instances that just made you question Christianity as a whole, that things that just, you know, you struggled with didn't make sense. I had looked at many of the contradictions that are in the Bible, a lot of the inconsistencies, the fact that it's not authentic and not authoritative, that none of the Gospels were written by eyewitnesses. Many of mm -hmm. the books, even in the Old Testament, are very are, are highly dubious and not written by the prophets themselves, mm -hmm. right? So there was, there was so much that had come out with textual criticism and, and even conservative Christian scholars are accepting these facts now. So this time, this time, do you feel like you were faking it with your friends, with your community? Like you're going through I this was, internal I struggle. I wasn't faking it because I was, I still, I was, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Oh, you're still a I Christian even, I point. even said, I, I'm going to be a Christian who helps save the Palestinians from the Israelis. That's, I used to tell myself that. I used to want to go to Palestine to go there was a there was wow. a late there was a um mm -hmm. there was a girl um Rachel Mori she uh she uh she went to Palestine back in 2003 mm -hmm. and she was helping to prevent the settlements mm -hmm. she ended up getting run over and she was a christian right? right she ended up getting run over by a uh a, a an israeli driving a bulldozer she was standing mm -hmm. there in front of a house and you know, they're, you know, they're supposed to, you know, wait and stuff. They're not allowed to actually just like straight up kill them, um, even though this happens a lot. 
And she was an American citizen, and he ran her over with the bulldozer. And then not only that, but he went back over her. And then he went back mm -hmm. over her again to make sure that she was, like, fully mm -hmm. dead. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I was really inspired by her doing this. So I wanted to be, like, this, this, this white knight Christian guy who's going to go save the Palestinians from mm -hmm. the Jews. Uh, the Israelis, not all Jews, are a Zionist, not to make mm -hmm. that clear. But I, I was very passionate about the Palestinian cause. And what happened when, how did you come across the Quran? Like, what, what happened? Uh, you opened the book, or did you happen to have it at home? Yeah, after what my dream, after my vision, and then what I had when I was in prostration, yeah. I was like, I'm going to go get my Quran off my shelf, wipe the dust off, and I read it. Mm -hmm. Read it right from the beginning, opened up to another page, and, and like I said, the tears just couldn't stop flowing. Uh, it hit me like a box of bricks. Mm -hmm. And why? What, what was it that hit you? Because it was everything that I'd always believed, that the oneness of God, how, how there's, no, there's no difficulty, no mental gymnastics, just pray to God alone. When I read all praise and uh, thanks due to the Lord of all creation, Rabbul Alameen, right there in Surah Fatiha, I was like, that's mm. it. It's, it's all, the whole belief is just summed up in just such a simple word. There's no la ilaha illallah. There's no God worthy of worship except for Allah. And so, for those who don't know, um, Surah Al-Fatiha is the first sense. surah of the Quran. So uh, you're referring to that, that right when you opened the Quran, you saw the words and it just made sense. Correct. Yeah, because mm -hmm. it, it was a big uh, Yusuf Ali red, red Quran edition. I think it's still back in the U.S. I don't know if okay. I have it with me. Huh. But yeah, it was... Um, so how so how one, long chapter how, one. how long after that did you give your shahada and what was that day like? It was one week because I I called oh, my wow. buddy. That's close. And he's like, well, you gotta go talk. You gotta you gotta go talk. I mean, that's the truth. I ain't gonna wait on it. And uh, I would have done it that day if I would have known better. As soon as I said those words, it was just I was overtaken again with like tears like I'd never had before. Mm -hmm. Felt like my whole body was being wiped with like something I can't explain. I had mm -hmm. this, this e ephemeral goosebump, like ecstasy feeling. Um, mm -hmm. The best way I, I tell people, I felt like I was just being washed with like nur. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an amazing feeling. And mm -hmm. so people told me when I told them that, they're like, this is your sins being forgiven, mm -hmm. all of that being wiped away and being purified. So mm -hmm. yeah, that was, uh, that was the, best, uh, the best day of my, my entire life. And, and and after this, so I feel like after the Shahada, the real work begins where you have to really learn the faith, learn how to pray, learn the language a little bit, you know, even if you want to pray or read the Quran. Um, what was that process like? Was it difficult for you? Man, I tell you what, think about somebody who's been walking through the desert for about five days, mm -hmm. uh, four days, five days might be too long, and they had no water. No drink. Think about the Turkish people, may Allah help them, who've been under the rubble for several days and had no food and drink, and they get out right away. I mean, just, they're hungry. They're thirsty, and that's what I was. Mm -hmm. I was hungry, and I was thirsty. I'd been spiritually deprived for 26 years of my life, needing a real, fruitful, beneficial relationship with my Creator, mm -hmm. and I found it. And so I was, I soaked it all up real quick. I mean, I learned Fatiha, and I guess those first two weeks... I got the Arabic alphabet down in probably another couple weeks. And I think <laughs> it's funny. You know, most people start with uh, like Suratul. After Fatiha, people, you know, you start in just Amma. 
right, the end to uh, start memorizing, I ended up going straight to Surah uh, Al-Qalam, which is in the second Jewish, which is it's a pretty much, for a new Muslim, it's kind of a longer surah to memorize. But I did the transliteration at first. I would write it down like in English letters, and then I would listen to Mashari al-Fasi, and every day I would drive to work, you know, and on the way back, because it was like a 45-minute 40, drive to work. Mm. I would I would just listen to Surah Qalim and just repeat, repeat, repeat after it mm. and, until I memorized it. And so mm -hmm. um, I, I just I, I was hungry for knowledge and I kept getting knowledge. And I had people all around me who were like, just keep getting knowledge. You need to study this. You need to study that. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of really good guides mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, in, around me. And what was and really helped? What was your you know, what, were you open about being Muslim at this time? I went to so one of my friends. One, first of all, because it had affected me so much, uh, I went from literally drinking every single day, maybe half a handle of whiskey or vodka to a whole handle of whiskey or vodka, which for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, it would be probably like two of these things because this is, this is pretty small. Maybe one and a half of these full of wow. like hard, right? Mm -hmm. um, I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I, I dipped a can of snuff and snuff is chewing tobacco you put in your lip. Mm -hmm. And you spit it, kind of gross, right? <laughs> all the lady, all the ladies don't like it, right? You, no, no one, want, no one wants to kiss somebody with a, they say a dip in your mouth. But um, mm -hmm. the day, the day I converted, well, the day I saw my vision, the week before, mm -hmm. I quit everything except for the dipping because I didn't know that was prohibited, right? I thought it was, you know, I was like, cigarettes are haram, uh, alcohol's haram, weed is haram, all this stuff. Overnight it was gone, which so for someone who's an alcoholic, if you quit something overnight like that, you're going to have withdrawals. You, it, you can kill yourself if you don't mm. wean yourself off. Mm. This, was my, one, this was a miracle Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me. Mm. It was all gone overnight, mm. right? And I've never once even had a, uh, a craving. Mm. My family was like, you'll never be able to quit. I was like, watch me. Mm. I threw it down, never picked it back up again. And they're like, well, mm, Islam's still tr not true. <laughs> You know, but, okay, whatever, you know, yeah. just you wait and see. And so were they upset with you at this time or were they just kind of like supportive? The first two weeks, yeah, those first two weeks, it wasn't bad. They weren't that upset. Mm -hmm. It was after the Christian missionaries who lived across the street who were Zionists, right? They're Christian Zionists. Mm -hmm. uh, they went to, they go to Israel every year mm -hmm. to go play piano for Netanyahu, which he's not prime minister anymore. So I guess they're playing it for the new prime minister. And they told my parents, your son is possessed by the devil and we got to get him some help. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to sit down and talk to me. And I ended up do, sitting down and talking to him and tell him, hey, this is why I'm not a Christian. These are the problems I have with the Bible. And they're like, well, you just don't have the Holy Spirit to understand it type of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Whenever you don't, they don't have an argument. That's kind of like the, the default uh, go to trump card. <laughs> if you can't explain something, just say, well, you don't have you don't have the Holy Spirit. And. I was like, I know who the Holy Spirit is. I do. The Holy Spirit is the friend of the believers. It's the angel Gabriel, right? So, you know, we, let's agree to disagree, but I'm not crazy. You know, my mom actually wanted to get me put into a mental institution. No and way. I was like, I've never been more sane in my entire life. Mm. I said, I'm sober, completely sober, not drinking, smoking, touching, nothing. I, I, was, I was free again, and it was nice. It was mm. such a really... Like good feeling to to be sober, but not just sober, but in a completely new perspective. Mm. Everything was more beautiful. I had more 
gratitude for everything around me. It was it was something truly, truly miraculous. And so, you know, you're you're going through this journey, you're learning every day, you're dealing with your family who who thinks that, you know, you're giving up your identity. I mean, your life as a cowboy, partying, drinking, um, even though this was a better life for you, it was still like that loss of identity, right? Like with your family and loved ones around you. How did they deal with that? Like over time? How did they deal with it? They dealt They dealt with it by, uh, by uh, rejecting it. Sweetheart. They, 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 they had their own cognitive dissonance now. My mom started saying, well, Brandon, you were baptized when you were a baby, so you'll always be a Christian. I'll never accept you as anything else. You're a Christian in my heart. It's so cute. She's so cute. My law guide her. Um, but the, you asked earlier, what did I do? Did I, so because of what I wanted in the light that I saw, I went to every single person I know. I went on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I went on all my things that I had with anybody. And I was like, everybody, I'm a Muslim. You all need to become Muslim. Let me teach you about Islam. Let's sit down. I went to every of my uncles. I set them down. I was like, hey, we got to have a talk. Wow. They were like, okay, what's up? <laughs> you being weird, Brandon. They're like, here, you want a beer? I'm like, no, I don't drink. <laughs> you don't drink? They're like, you're the party animal. You drink more than all of us. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, let me tell you what I got to tell you. And then I would tell them and they all just kind of like, you know, every single one of them. And then one of my uncles was like, oh, so you, you're in that religion where you, that you, that, uh, that false angel, Gabriel, the, the devil. I was like, what are you talking about? Gabriel's in the Bible. Like, you know, wow. uh, a lot of ignorance. Mm. Um, I mean, some of my family, not, you know, my parents were probably the, the, the better, um, of many of them. But, you know, a lot of my family was really racist. I mean, growing up, they were, you know, they used to talk about Muslims and black people and because Muslims are always brown people, right? That's they didn't yeah. see Islam as a uh, an actual way. They saw it as an ethnic type of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was always like white people, white God, white Jesus mm -hmm. type of thing. White people are the best. You know, they weren't part of the KKK in that sense, but there was just it was still kind of in the back of your mind that white is right. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, it was hard dealing with that. I can't control my feelings, but I didn't have any grief. I didn't have any sadness. I wasn't, you know, the only thing that would hurt me was when my family would say mean things against the prophet or Allah. But when it came to me, people not wanting to see me, <laughs> I didn't, Allah, like, like you, you got to understand something that I, I learned really early on, probably like the, the first few days. Someone told me something. They said, Brandon, when you give up something for the sake of Allah, it's a promise. This, it's, a, it's a contract. Allah will replace it with something that's better. That thought, that knowledge, not that thought, that knowledge, that understanding, I had yaqeen in this. I had certainty in it. So every single thing that I had lost, I knew that Allah would replace it with something better. Allah gave, took away friends that were very empty, that were all about their image, about keeping up looks on the outside, about this and that, with actual, real, substantial, deep, spiritual friends. I used to tell myself, and I would pray to God as a Christian, you know, please give me people who love you as much as I do. Because, I mean, I had a lot of my friends were atheists because, I mean, people who I got along with, 
that we like similar interests, well, we, the one thing we didn't agree on was God, right? And so I'd always have, you know, arguments with my, my friends about God. And, you know, so many of my friends were atheists. A lot of the girls I dated were atheists or just not practicing Christians and this and that. And I had always begged God, I want somebody in my life, right? Who loves you as much as I love you. How did you move from Texas to Saudi Arabia? Uh, well, uh, you, you get a passport, a plane ticket, and you <laughs> get on the plane. You can't bring your horse, though. Uh, they oh, they won't man, let the horse sucks. on the plane. Uh, you gotta, and then you mm. and then you get off the plane. No, I I uh, I applied for the Islamic University here in 2015. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it was quite a long journey because I didn't come until 2019. So that was like four years in between mm. my application and actually getting here. Um, wow. And I I mean, it was just kind of like a, a side thing. Like I was like, if I if I I'm just gonna apply just to apply. If I get in, this will be great. Right. Because mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I was still studying with people on the side, memorizing Quran on my own. Mm -hmm. So and I was working. I was built. I had my I had a very successful fence company in, in Texas. And I really was going to keep sticking to that if that was what Allah had in store for me. Mm -hmm. But I ended up not, um, you know, not keeping that and just kept uh, kept at this, kept it getting knowledge. So I've been here for the last three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so, you know, let's come back to the United States for a second. You know, this is, you grew up as, you know, a Texan, a cowboy. You're, you really have a handle on American domestic life, um, so as to speak. So, you know, what similarities have, did you find between Islam and your life as an American cowboy? Well, most of it is all about the... The family values that, you know, my parents raised me with, and, you know, they, they always kept saying, oh, you've left our way, our values, our traditions. And I was like, man, I, I mean, some of it, so much of it's exactly the same as it was. And, you know, I, I, found, I found so much of it. But, I mean, American values as a whole are so different anywhere you go in the U.S. I mean, if you're from New York, it's going to be completely different from, from Texas. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, I, I I really wouldn't compare it with the American values um, as much as I would like Southern values because, you know, like even today you're seeing a lot of, you know, changes. You know, the world, the, the nation is very much split with uh, social social values, you know, especially with uh, some of these movements that are going on, you know, that are facing facing the U.S. And, and so, yeah, the, there's, there's but, you know, LGBTQ. one thing that was really big was honesty, like telling the truth. Right. Yeah. And that was something that where I'm from, I mean, you know, it's it's not acceptable, right? Whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in other parts of the US it's, you know, if you if you're not down with it, I mean you will get canceled. Mm -hmm. So I I found a lot of similarities. I mean it was it was very it was very easy, right? I didn't I didn't find any struggle with anything that I had uh, had come into you know familiar familiarity with here mm -hmm. in Islam. And, you know, like uh, the way that, you know, the politics are are going towards here in America, a lot of, you know, this had kind of included Muslims in their, um, I guess, uh, their talking points and, you know, pandering to Muslims. And, and now, you know, when Muslims are like, well, wait a minute, these are not our values. You know, we're not liberalists. We're pr more conserv conservative than anything else. Um, what do you make of all right. these, you know, 
um, the domestic issues that we're going through and the issues of Muslims in, in America right now. Well, I see that it's the same plan that they did to the African-Americans. Um, and Malcolm X even, he even talked about this, uh, he said that the, the, the liberals, right, are more of a threat because they're the fox mm. that they talk nice to you in your face, but behind your back, they have plans and goals. They don't agree with this. Mm. The LGBT community is very aware of our actual stance. Mm. And so when people are nice to your face, but they, they disagree with you on a fundamental level, I, I, don't, I don't trust these people more than I trust someone who's going to tell me I don't like what you're upon because the people who are going to be upright to my face, I know that they could possibly have what's called like a doubt or something that I might be able to change in their mind and show them like, hey, what you think you know, it's not actually what is you know the truth. And this is what's happening, right? Mm. Since I've been doing my dawah, I mean, I get a lot of messages from Texans from Southern folk, like, wow, like, thank you for showing us Islam from our perspective. Like, I would have never known some of this stuff. We have, like, they said it, we've been completely fooled by the media and stuff. And so, you know, this is why it's very important that anyone from whatever community they're from, they go back to their community and give their people dawah. The prophets didn't talk to anybody else but their people. But going back to this is that, you know, this is a, a there, I believe that there is an agenda to make Muslims connect with the left, because if they connected with the right, there would be so many more people accepting Islam. Mm. So there has to be this existential threat, this 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 villain between Muslims and you know conservatives, because if they were to realize that there really isn't that big of a rift, these people who are closer to Islam would actually start seeing the truths about Islam for mm. what it really is see the things that it's going to actually help them in their lives. And I guarantee you, you're going to start seeing a lot more people converting, right? And that's why mm -hmm. we have to be wise and we have to not pander to these things and understand that, you know, that people who want to, you know, play nice to your face, but you know that they don't agree with you. These are, this is a dangerous thing, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. better to, you know, be upfront and honest. And that's one thing that the prophet, peace be upon him, taught us. Speak a straight word. Right. Mm -hmm. And expect that same thing from from other people as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that you're in Saudi, Saudi Arabia, um, how do you reconcile those feelings with living now in a theocratic system uh, like that's governed by, you know, Sharia law, as opposed to that's governed by the U.S. Constitution? I've never felt more safe in my entire life. Saudi Arabia is one of the safest countries in the entire world to live in. Mm -hmm. And you don't, I'm, you're not worried about someone killing you or like when you're walking, women, you know, having to worry about walking home in the middle of the night. Crime is very low. Does crime mm -hmm. happen? Yeah. It's a, people are, like I said, Muslims are still human, but there's, there's more respect and it's a, it's a lot safer. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I do really appreciate here. What would you say is your definition of truth? Because now... There's a lot of different kinds of truths. You know, we live in the postmodernist era. Um, the way they're defining the truth, I mean, they don't they don't even know how to define a woman anymore, right? So to you, what is the definition of truth today? Well, the definition of truth uh, is the same as it's always been. And this is one of the tricks of Shaitan that he's trying to push. There's always only one truth. If there's a crime that's committed, and this is where people got to be consistent, mm -hmm. Even people who want to say there are multiple truths, so you have your truth, I have my truth. 
facts are not feelings. Feelings help sometimes, and it's good. Feelings help increase us in, in things, and they're good, but they're not the way that we determine mm-hmm. the truth. We determine the truth by evidence, and we look at the evidence, and all of the evidence in the entire world points to the Qur'an being the only preserved Word of God on the face of the earth today. And, you know, to conclude this, we have um, many narrations in all sects that talk about how Imam al-Mahdi, uh, who is the final savior, will, you know, come back at a time towards the end of times, um, and Prophet Jesus will pray behind him in a way to show the Christians that, you know, I'm, I am a prophet, you know, I'm not God. Um, and a lot of Christians will actually turn to Islam at that point. Uh, what do you feel about that? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's just the Sadaqa Rasulullah. The Prophet has spoken the truth, yeah. So the Jesus will come back and he will rule after the Imam Mahdi, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, who is his, is his name, uh, um, will, will be ruling and bringing justice to the earth, like to replace all of the injustice this, that is done. Mm-hmm. And when when Isa, when Jesus returns, you know, everyone will have to accept him mm-hmm. as the prophet of God, mm-hmm. right? The prophet that was sent before Muhammad, who was returning to fulfill the message, and he will have his his dua accepted. His dua accepted, and the the dua of Isa, right? Every prophet was given one dua mm-hmm. that was very specific, and it was a great dua, and it was accepted. For example, the prophet Noah's dua was to you know, after 950 years, he said, get rid of these people and let's start all mm-hmm. over again. And so God accepted it, flood, and redid it. The, uh, the Dua of Moses, um, the Dua of Muhammad was was reserved for the Day of Judgment, right? And that's the Shifa. Mm-hmm. But the Dua of Jesus, peace be upon him, was to be part of the Ummah of Muhammad. Mm-hmm. And Allah accepted his Dua. And so he took him, raised him up, and will bring him back again to be a, not just a prophet, but he is a prophet who is a follower um, in the prophet's ummah who came after mm. him, and that is the ummah of Muhammad. Mm. So he will be a righteous, a uh, righteous ruler, and he will live righteously. And many Muslims, will, I mean, many Christians will become Muslim mm. by meaning submitting their will to God, because that's what Islam means. It's not just you know this this name that's like after a tribe or a person, but it's a it's the action, mm. right? And we should translate it. Muslim means a person who submits their will to the Creator alone in obedience, sincerity, and from this you gain mm. peace. And that peace is an external mm. because you still have problems. People will try to harm you. The peace that it's talking about is internal mm. peace. That's awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Brandon, the Muslim you're cowboy, welcome. for joining us today. While you're fasting, um, you know, I give kudos to you. I'm sure you're completely drained by all my endless questions, but thank you so much for being here today. Alhamdulillah. And I'm sure a lot of people will find this very beneficial and a great story, you know, on your journey to truth and Islam. And that's a wrap for episode eight of For God and Country. Thank you for joining me here today at TMJ News, where we post daily content um, and weekly shows. Uh, Be sure to like, share, and subscribe for all our amazing Uh, podcast on our channels and to get all the notifications.